Our scripture lesson today comes from my favorite book of the Bible, Acts chapter 2, uh, the church that you are now a part of and in this day. And we're going to share this portion of this great, great story of the beginning of the church. So let's share in God's good word together. All Israel then know this. There's no longer room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on a cross. Cut to the quick, those who were there listening asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? Peter said, Change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our master God invites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. It is a great, great Bible school week. It is one of my favorite weeks of the year, and I want to thank everybody who played a role in it. Uh, on Friday night, uh, I was asked to sort of have a, a shorter version of a, of a sermon and to talk with the kids, and so we did uh, a sermon that the, uh, some of the younger ones stayed in service and, and did. Uh, today is the adult version of that sermon, and so I, I want to... Uh, let you know how important it is what we do about Bible school because Bible school is it about kids of course it's about kids but it's also about the adults it's about all of us it's, it's about having that beautiful time set apart that heaven comes to earth where we all focus on loving one another eating a common meal together worshiping together playing together learning together that's what the early church was all about about doing life together uh, in those early days, there was no uh, church that you went to. They would worship in the catacombs. They would go underground because the Romans were looking for them to kill them. And they would meet wherever they could, however they could, in each other's homes. And they ate daily with glad and generous hearts. And the church went from about 12 disciples to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to more than half of the population by the time Constantine bends his knee to God. Because more than half of the populace at that time had become Christians in the first 300 years of our faith. There's been no other time like it. Some would say that today in the underground churches in China that there are uh, some movements of the Spirit like it was in those first days of Acts. And so I want us to look again at the importance of what it is to live out this Acts 2 vision. What it is to be the people of God in this time and in this place. So if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take them out. Uh, and we're going to look about what God wants. What does God really want? What is his calling on us as a church, on a, on a people uh, that live out our faith? And why is it so important today? Well, first of all, um, I, I want to say this. I think it's important. I, I love the, what Andy Stanley said uh, a, a couple months ago. Uh, you know, if you're, on, if you're on Facebook these days or on social media at all, uh, it's kind of scary. Uh, there are people in our church that will, uh, will post things like, well, you know, I'm not trying to get into a political thing, or I never post political things. I just want to say that so-and-so did a nice job. And it doesn't matter which political party it is. And they're just saying, you know, I'm just trying to be a nice person here and just saying this person did well uh, the other night, whatever night that is, this week, last week, whenever it is. And then, in, inevitably, if you follow along the comments underneath, it just gets nasty in a hurry. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you say. You could say, you know, I think puppies are cute. And by the third line, it's like, puppies are the devil. I mean, it's awful out there. And it just it makes you want to hold up and stay in your home. And, and Andy Stanley said this about uh, two or three months ago. He said, you know, 
if you're in your 40s, uh, and you're in this, you know, diatribe about how if you don't vote for this person, the country's, uh, you know, going to go to hell in a handbasket. He goes, just stop it. You're scaring the children. You're scaring the kids. Because people of faith, friends, our faith isn't in a candidate anyway. It's really not. And if your faith isn't a candidate, it's misplaced. Just understand that. So the, the issue with the people and, and why I want to start this sermon this way, it's a very adult sermon, and that is this that the, the Jewish tradition held that this Pentecost day that they came to was a commemoration of the day that God himself gave the law to Moses. And God had said to the people all the way back in Exodus, look, you don't need a king. What you need is me. You need to follow me, God Almighty, ruler of heaven and earth. And here are the Ten Commandments. And here are some other laws that are going to guide the people because you've been slaves for 400 years and you can't guide yourself. You need some guiding principles. You need some laws uh, because it's a mess. You need me. And you know what the people said? It was, okay, we'll follow Moses for a while, but then Moses died. And then Joshua picked it up. And if you think our world's bad today, just read Joshua. I mean, that book is a mess. They killed every woman and child of any warring faction. It was genocide over and over and over again. And it was in the name of God. It's a bloody mess of a story. And yet it's God's people. And then they come to David. And they say, we want a king. We want a king like everybody else. We want a ruler. We want somebody to save us. This messianic figure. That's what Messiah means. The one that's going to save you. And so they look to David. But again, I want you to be reminded that the, the Jews wanted to be saved first from the Egyptians. And Joseph helped do that, but God did it through Joseph. And then they wanted to be saved again, this time from the Philistines. And David defeats Goliath, and they're saved from the Philistines. Then, then it's the Canaanites. I mean, pick your ites. I mean, it's this site, Jebusite, Hittite. You have an ite, they wanted to be saved from them. And, and God says, look, you don't need all these kings. They're going to fail you. And if you look closely at King David or King Saul... Uh, or any of the kings that followed them, how well did they do? Not well. Not well. King, is, king David was the greatest king that Israel ever had, a man after God's own heart, and he was a murderer and an adulterer, clearly in the Bible. I mean, no one today would say, oh yeah, King David's a good guy. No, not at all. He was a mess as well. And so, friends, here's the thing. If you look at the biblical story, our hope has never been in a person other than Jesus Christ and his spirit living in us. And that's what makes the book of Acts chapter 2 so different than all the rest of the Bible. It says in Acts 2 verse 5 that devout Jews from which, how many nations? Every nation. Every nation under heaven were living in Jerusalem on top of each other, by the way. Jerusalem's not that big of a city. Certainly wasn't at that day. There were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And they were all gathered together for this festival of Pentecost, 49 days after the day uh, of the Passover. And so it's seven weeks after Passover, uh, and, and here's the thing. They had been praying from the time of uh, the Egyptians to the Philistines to the Canaanites to the Hittites to the Jebusites that God would come. And most recently, they were under the boot of Rome the most powerful government ever to rule the world. And so as a way of introduction, God came to earth in human form in the person of Jesus at the request of the Jews and the people of that time killed him. They said, we want a savior, we want a savior, we want a savior. And Jesus showed up and he was the savior. But it wasn't the kind of savior they wanted. They wanted a savior to save them over and against Rome, over and against any of their 
rivals. And that's not what Jesus came to do. You see, the thing that was so mind-blowing was that Jesus came to save everyone. And here's the question for us. If that's really true, and it is, what are you going to do about that? And do you want to have anything to do with that? Because for us, that means that includes the border south of us and the border north of us and the countries in Europe and Asia and all around. God came to save all the world. And that's to change how we live. Everyone. And it was very difficult then, and it's very difficult now to understand that God comes for all people at all times. And so Peter stands up because the Spirit of God had actually moved and, he, and the Spirit of God had connected all these people from all over the world. And Peter stands up and, and says this message, you all are beginning to understand each other by the power of God. And, and Peter says this, therefore let the entire house of Israel know from every tribe and every nation with certainty that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord, which means boss, and Messiah, the only one that can save us. This Jesus whom you crucified. And friends, by and large, the reason they crucified him is because they couldn't get him to do what they wanted him to do. Because he was including people they did not want included. He included Romans who were oppressing them. He included people who didn't obey their food laws, who didn't think the way they thought. And God included them all, and they hated him for it. They were no longer in an exclusive club. They had to share and get along with other people that they didn't want to have anything to do with. You see, in the early church, early Christians believed that Jesus was not only the Savior of the world on earth, but was also the ruler of the entire universe, of the heaven and the stars, uh, of the weather systems, of it all. And they understood that Jesus had this power that no one before or after has ever had. And so they come to understand that God has really come to earth in the person of Jesus, that God is really here through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they say back to Peter, well, then what should we do? What should we do? And so in Acts 2.37, it says this. Now, when they heard this, what Peter was preaching to them, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And this is what Peter says. He says, number one, repent and turn and follow God. That's what repent means, to turn and follow God. Now, this is really difficult for us uh, in the West because we, uh, if you've grown up in church at all, there's this sort of revivalist understanding that if you come to a church and you profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then somehow you're saved. And we get this through the book of Romans, through Paul's writing. There's reasons that people believe this. But that's not what the early church believed. Matter of fact, Jesus' brother James says, believing's no big deal. Even the demons of hell believe in Jesus. There are a lot of people that believe in Jesus. But that's not what repentance is. It's about turning and following him. Turning and following him. It's not about belief. Lots of folks know that Jesus lives. Doesn't mean they're going to follow him. And, and friends, uh, when I was in Minko, uh, my second week there, I met a lady named Verma Lois. And, and, and they, they love to tell a story on Verma. Verma said this. She said, the other day, a UPS man came by, and, and, and Verma was known as an evangelist throughout town, through this little town. And uh, the UPS guy came up, and, and he knocked on her door, and he had a package for her. And, and she said, son? He said, yes, ma'am, Miss Lois. And uh, she says, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I mean, to the UPS guy. And he says, uh, uh, well, uh, I, I went to church this year. And she said, son, just because you're in a garage don't make you a car. <laughs> That's what she said to him. 
right? I don't know how the exchange went from there, but that's all the story I know. That's all the story I know. It's not about belief, friends. It's about repentance, and that is to turn and follow God. And we can get so messed up around this idea of what it is to be saved, what it is to work out this process of repentance and salvation. Paul says to do this with fear and trembling. It's our life's work to become more and more like Jesus, to repent and to turn and follow God. Now, this is a change of mind, yes, but it's also a change of what? Of action. Of action, right? So, James, again, says, the brother of Jesus, you know, you you can show me your faith, and I'm going to show you my works to prove my faith. My works don't save me, but if I don't have any works, you've got to question whether I have any faith. It, it works out together. Right? Only Christ can save you. But it's more than just a thought. It's a lifestyle of following Jesus day by day. And, and here's the thing, friends. It's more than having this awareness that now I know that the things that I used to do are wrong. Uh, but I'm not going to stop. There are lots of things in our lives that we know are, are wrong and that we shouldn't do. I'll, I'll let you in on a, on, a, on a secret vice of your pastor. I have a penchant for hostess ding-dongs. I do. Now, if you look at a hostess ding-dong, I'm not sure there's anything in there that's good for you at all. It'll probably kill you over time. And I know, see, I can have a mental assent that ding-dongs are bad. But that doesn't keep me from stopping eating them. And I can profess with my lips all I want that ding-dongs are bad. But if I keep eating them, I'm just going to keep getting fat. And I can boo-hoo about it. I confess with my lips that ding-dongs are bad. But if you eat them, it's still inside you. It doesn't change anything about that. So confession and repentance are different. It's more than I know that it's wrong, but I won't stop. And, and you can kind of put your own vice in there, whatever that is. But that doesn't get you anywhere, just the awareness that it's wrong, other than it might get you to the point where you will stop because you understand it's wrong. But, but knowing about Jesus isn't following Jesus. And, and then sometimes people who can get really religious, they think that if, if you're repentance, what it means is that you've actually stopped. But it's more than that too. Because sometimes we stop because of the consequences. We stop because we're afraid. We stop because we're afraid that if our wife catches us or our husband catches us or our kids catch us. Any, any of y'all have things that you only do when you're home alone? You have any things that you only do when your kids aren't home? You see, that, that's not repentance. That's fear. That's not following Jesus. That's getting by. These, these are different things, friends. More than I stopped only because I'm afraid. Now, it is true that when we're back in right relationship that we can be forgiven, but it doesn't mean that we've repented. I'll, I'll tell you another little secret on your pastor. When I was three, I didn't know about ding-dongs yet. I knew about dry dog food. I had a dog named Brownie. She was awesome. And we had a garage that was off the house. And, and Brownie, we would feed Brownie back there. And when my parents weren't watching, I would sneak away to have a little snack with my dog. And I would have dried dog food with Brownie. One for her, one for me. One for her, one for me. And then the interesting thing would happen after I'd eat dog food with Brownie. Brownie and I had a great relationship. But my relationship with my mother was broken. 
there was this invisible barrier when I would walk back in the house. She's like, how are you doing? I'm fine. I didn't want anybody to know that I'd been eating the dog food in the garage. And it wasn't until I would actually confess and repent and say to my mom, I'm sorry, I know I'm not supposed to eat the dog food. And she would wrap me in her arms and comfort me and I would have right relationship with my mother again. This is what forgiveness looks like. And I would vow that I would not eat dog food again. And I tell you, I've not eaten dog food in years. <laughs> I'm, I'm converted. But you know the other truth about this. Whenever the dog food plant south of town cooks up in the summer, <laughs> I can taste it right there. Oof. Pray for north winds, right? Now, here's the thing about sin. Just because you've repented, just because you made right with those that love you, right with your God, it doesn't erase the consequences of your sin. And we need not be upset with God because we can still taste the dog food that we ate when we were three, when the wind's just right out of the south in Edmond, Oklahoma. And so many people think that God isn't doing God's part because we're still racked with the consequences of the things we've done in our life. That's not God's fault, friends. We can be in right relationship again with God even though we still have consequences of our sin, of the choices that we made that were simply silly. So what is true repentance? True repentance involves a change of heart, friends. A change of heart to where we want to do what God wants us to do. It's not that we do it begrudgingly. It's not that we continue to live for ourselves even though we proclaim God. It's way more than that. It is a true love relationship where our hearts are as God's heart. We want to be generous. We want to be kind. We want to help others. We want the transformation of the world. This is what our heart wants because that's what Jesus wants. Does this make sense to you? It's a far cry from showing up and doing your duty. It's a far cry from faking it and, and hoping nobody else finds out. It is absolutely being in love with God, what God loves. And if that's true for you, or you want that to be true for you, Peter says, be baptized. Will you say that with me? Be baptized. This is where the Holy Spirit comes to you and empowers you to live differently, to want the things that God wants. That's what baptism is. It breaks my heart when I have people tell me, well, I, I can't be baptized because I, I need to work some things out yet. I'm like, friends, you're probably never going to work it out until you are baptized. Because we're never going to do it in our own strength anyway. It's only in God's power that we're able to live differently. So at baptism, we are put right with God, but it does not take away the consequences of what we've done. Even at baptism, you can still taste the dog food. You can. And more than that, it is to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at your baptism. It's not simply a washing away of sin. It is actually the Holy Spirit of God coming to you. And what we talked to the kids about this week was the heavens actually break open and say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Follow him. It is receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is God living in you to empower you to do things you could never do alone or before. With God, we can win battles against things we never thought we could win. It changes our lives. It changes our families. It changes our world. And, and sometimes we actually get all that. But sometimes we think it's just for us. And it's much bigger than that too. At every turn, if you look at the life of Jesus, whether it's the woman at the well, whether it's Matthew the tax collector, 
whether it's Zacchaeus, the other tax collector, whether it's a prostitute that, that pours perfume on his feet and wipes it up with her hair. At every turn, Jesus says, no, my kingdom includes everyone. All the people that everybody thought was outside, Jesus is opening that up and opening that up and opening that up. And so in case we had missed it, in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it says, says this. God's promise is for you, you here, in the sound of my voice. And not only for you, but for your children as well. And, and not just for you and your families, but for all who are far away. For all the people that the news tells us to be afraid of. To all the people that we think are on the outside. God says, no, 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 it's for them too. All who are far away. And then in case we missed it, it says this. Everyone. Will you say that with me? Everyone. That's who God's love is for. That's who God's love is for. Even for the people that need to be locked up because they're dangerous. God's for them. God's for those who are locking them up. God's for them. You see, this, this thing that Jesus is about is much bigger than a political party, much bigger than an ideology, much bigger than a nation, much bigger than a border. It's for everyone. And I'm, I'm amazed at how difficult this message has become to share and to live in a world that wants to be divided. So in Acts 2.39, it says this, For the promises for you, for your children, for, say it with me, all who are far away, everyone, for those who get it, for those who don't, for those who understand and those who don't, for those who follow well and those who are yet to follow. It's for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And you'll say, aha, there's the loophole. See, it's not for everyone. It's just for those that God calls to him, right? So it's, it's not. It's just for those who God calls. Well, who does God call? Sometimes you have to learn the Bible by looking at the Bible. You have to, to, right? you have to interpret the Bible by the Bible. So, so who does God call? I want, to, I want you to go to my very favorite verse in all the Bible. It's 2 Peter 3.9. The same guy who's preaching this, this message writes this in 2 Peter 3.9. God is patient with you, not wanting who? Any to perish. Not one. Not one person on the planet does God want far from him. Not, not even that so-and-so that cut you off in traffic last week. Not even them. Every person. But how many to come to repentance? Oh, And what does repentance mean? But to turn and follow God. That's God's will. And that's our business. That every person would turn and follow God by our love and our care and our grace and our forgiveness. This is what God wants. This is what God wants for every person. After the service on Friday, I had somebody come up to me and they said, is that really your favorite scripture? I said, yeah. And they said, do you really believe that? That God wants every person on the planet to be in relationship with him, to be saved, to be going to heaven, on their way to heaven in this life and the next? I was like, yes, absolutely. And they asked me this. They said, so do you think everybody is going to heaven? And I said, no. No. Because you and I have free will. There's some folks that don't have anything to do with God. They don't have anything to do with the people of God or the things of God. Because they want to be in and have others out. They want to have a preferred spot. They want to be the one that sits in business while the rest of the world sits in class and, you know, and, and coach. These are the folks that want to be able to go to the best restaurants while other people eat at McDonald's or eat at home. These are the people that want to sit in their home while the other people mow their lawn, take care of their things, and do their business. They want to be in a place above the world. 
And friends, you have to understand that in heaven, there is none of that. We're all equal in heaven. And then when we get to this point, people freak out. Because then they think that that means same, that equal means same, and it doesn't. We don't have to all be the same. There, how many devout Jews from every nation? Very different, not the same, but equal in God's eyes. Equal. And there are other people, I'm, I'm not banging on rich people about that. You can be poor and feel the same way. You can, you can be poor and think, well, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to see a rich person there. Or I don't want to see a person that used to oppress me. Or I don't want to see the person who fired me from my job. Or I don't want to see that, you know, that person that was unjust. So you have to, you have to ask yourself, am I, am I really willing to follow Jesus if everybody's included? Everybody's included. You see, we all have this problem. Every one of us. And so in Acts 2.41, it says this. In one day, about 3,000 people who had been different and excluded and were not going to come together, they all come together and they were added into one family from all over the world. This process of repentance, of turning your heart and mind towards God, it was happening with people from every tribe and every nation all around the world. And in Acts 2.42, they lived together in this way, what our church is founded on. Say it with me. They devoted themselves to what? Apostles teaching, that's scripture, Bible study, fellowship, which is taking care of one another, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so, so for your action steps, it's the same action steps the church has been doing for two millennia, for 2,000 years. And that's this. This is what the with God life looks like. We look to scripture together rather than opinion. You know, we could use a lot of that right now. Right? Opinions are cheap. The word of God lasts forever. Look to Scripture together. You'll have that opportunity this fall in covenant discipleship. We hope you'll participate. Secondly, take care of one another. That's really what fellowship is. It's not just a meal. It might include a meal, but it's truly taking care of one another. And then thirdly, to share a common meal. That's what they did. And that included communion, which we'll do here. To be empowered by God, to live differently for God and the world, for the transformation of the world. And finally, to pray to listen for what God has to say, to get instruction and direction day by day, and to ask God for that direction. That's what it is to repent. That's what it is to follow God. That's what it is to be a Christian in this world. And friends, it's so important. It's so important. The world is desperate for people of love and acceptance and grace and power that live differently and beyond the ways of the world in this day.